1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox. On the web at mainboats.com. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. A very fine top of the summer, good sailing weather kind of morning it is. Time for Boat Talk, WERU's own call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your hosts Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Boat Talk is a, a naval show that was hatched right here at Community Radio, and it's been going for probably about eight years now. And we uh, it's a call-in show when we discuss all kinds of varieties of uh, items that we have uh, gleaned over the last month, and also uh, anything that you'd like to talk about, too. And it's also Pledge Week, time for uh, the money that keeps this station going. Always good to support community radio. Uh, as you said, Boat Talk's been uh, running for a, a good long while now. You said eight years, you think? Hatched. I think it With was us? 1999, I believe. With us? With us, yes. Interesting. Uh, you know, I always thought it was uh, six or so, but... But that's not the whole story on Boat Talk anyway, and, and I talked to uh, Paul Brayton a little while ago, and, and uh, he was part of, uh, here's the real inside on Boat Talk, how Boat Talk got started years ago. Paul was on the board of directors of uh, WERU years and years ago, and of course we were trying to invent the place when we first got our radio license, and how are we going to fill all this time? And, uh, you know, it was all about celebrating community and stuff, and as a uh, Brooklyn, uh, you know, Fisherman, uh, boat industry, uh, you know, he hauls boats. and uh, So anyway, he started thinking about uh, boats, and he conceived the idea of boat talk. He approached Maynard Bray and Joel White, and they were the original hosts. Much above our celebrated uh, marine, marine uh, celebrity, you know what I'm saying? Yep, I, I remember that show, though. It, was, it started off interesting, didn't yes, it? Yes, it was very interesting, and uh, those two fellows who are not... Uh, you know, they didn't come to the radio on their own. The radio came to them. Mm-hmm. And that's another interesting way community radio can work now, isn't it? You know, they're radio, ex- yeah. It is. A, a, the community radio is definitely a two-way thing. That's why we call it community radio. Us, on the other hand, we came over here years ago and volunteered for our own different reasons, and they haven't been able to get rid of us yet. <laughs> and then uh, so Maynard and Joel White did Boat Talk for a, a couple of years there on a spotty kind of basis. And I believe uh, it was resurrected uh, once, maybe twice, in the intervening years. And then uh, one summer they came along and they asked you and I if we'd like to do some boat talk. And uh, June or July, fine, great. Yeah. And we did one. We had a great time. And they thought it was so good they wanted us to do it the next month, too. And summertime, great, bring it on. And that went so well, they said, why don't you do boat talk year-round? I thought that was about the stupidest idea I ever heard. Um, I had no interest in that. What would we possibly talk about in the middle of winter? Um, but it has proved that's about the stupidest idea I ever had about a stupid idea. And well, it's proved to be an embarrassment of riches, and we've been doing boat talk, Alan says, since about 99 now, and uh, never run out of things or people to talk about. 
And, uh, you know, we've uh, learned a bunch of stuff, uh, let alone uh, uh, to trust the audience is one of the big things that Alan and I have learned on Boat Talk. And if you think uh, Boat Talk is something you'd like to support, we're going to give you the, uh, the pledge number just once right here in the very beginning so that Mike and I don't get too confused. Um, and then we'll have a little... Um, reprise, I guess we'll call it, at the, at the end of the show with more pledges. But Special limited time offer in, uh, coming up at the end of Boat Talk this morning, and uh, yet another good reason to stay tuned through the whole thing. So anyway, the pledge number is 1-800-643-6273. But if you'd like to call in and talk to the Boat Talk guys or raise some sort of subject, something naval, the number to call is one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. That's the boat talk number. And a good opportunity this morning. Our uh, good friend, uh, steam colleague, Captain Giffy Fuller, is not with us this morning. He's out to sea somewhere. He's having and, a good uh, time, I'm sure. Yeah. So, uh, uh, nor did we uh, schedule a, a guest or a, a real topic this morning. And as I said before, Alan and I, uh, we have. Sort of a charming looseness, I, I would, uh, you know, just <laughs> modestly, <laughs> you well, know, loose anyway. <laughs> say that uh, we, we approach Botox with a modest looseness. And uh, so anyway, every once in a while, we'll call each other the night before and, and say, well, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? I don't know. You got anything? No, I was yeah. hoping you had something. And well, sleep trust it. the audience. We, we need to leave room for calls anyway, we'll say, you know, and this would be a good example of that. Oh, yes. So, they, again, the number to talk on Boat Talk is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Yeah, anything you'd like to contemplate, Marine, uh, boat advice, uh, how to fix one, how to buy one, where to go with one, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And and uh, we're good for making up any answers we don't know in the first place, and we've been around, so, uh, you know, we'll give her a try. The other thing we like to talk about this morning is uh, Boat Talk. We have, uh, you know, uh, as I say, this program devolved onto Alan and I <laughs> after a number of years. After uh, Maynard and Joel left, yes. Yeah, and here we are uh, having a good time doing it, and surprisingly enough, it's proved to be quite popular. And, uh, you know, uh, we get downloaded on, on the uh, WERU website, you know, and, and uh, not to brag or anything, but about ten times as many as some of the other shows here that, uh, you know, are also podcast up there. Well, it boggles me that we're getting calls from around the world. And we get calls from around the Chicago Yacht Club, Bristol, England, uh, you know, places uh, besides just down East Main here. So anyway, we now have our own website, BoatTalk.org. And, uh, you know, uh, we uh, have yet to quite ramp that up because we had some theme music difficulties. Uh, There's Internet rules about uh, copyright that are quite stringent and our oh, I love it theme uh, really couldn't be posted up on the internet without costing us a great deal of money so now we have a new theme we can uh, take off and conquer the internet now and come this fall I think uh, um, my plan is to ramp the thing up anyway now here's the question how here's my question anyway how do I want to relate to a website never saw myself having a website yeah it- Websites are, are fun, actually. You, do you can be? It's a, another community kind of thing where you get two-way uh, uh, rapport going on, or people send you uh, uh, connections and say, "Hey, take a look at this. What's going on over here? You might like to post this." And yeah, so. never been an emailer, and never not a not a huge fan of interfacing through a typewriter either. Well, you you just, know, but you only got a CD player a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, kind of a lot. I but planning to ramp up the boat talk. Uh, website this fall and and uh, you know a lot of possibilities there uh, for sharing things and also for uh, 
you know, uh, uh, putting in requests and just connecting people and uh, boats and stuff. So BoatTalk.org. And again, how, how would I, how would you like to relate to the Boat Talk website? Good question this morning. Give us a call anytime, 1-800-643-6273 is the number here for the, that was the pledge line now, wasn't it? Right, yes, you're looking over in the wrong corner. Yep. yep. You want to call into the boat shop here this morning, 1-866-625-9378. And uh, we pretty much interrupt ourselves at any time. And as I said, we have left some time to speak with you this morning, so give us a call. Yeah. Speaking of the website, I was frantically and frustratingly working on it last night, trying to put some new posts on there. Had some interesting things. One of them... Um, I can only describe to you and, and, and promise that I will try to get it on in the next few days or so. And Mike hasn't even seen this yet. Uh, a tugboat that uh, was down in Alabama. Somebody uh, took a series of shots of a tugboat. Uh, approaching tow, the bridge, yeah. and now it's entwined in the bridge. The bridge didn't open, and the towboat was uh, going downstream in a very rapid stream. Must be at flood stage. And couldn't stop. Hit the bridge, got turned sideways, and then... Because he was uh, sideways, too, I guess the uh, current rolled the boat right underneath the bridge. And then the, the pictures continue. It pops up on the other side. And if you look carefully, you can still see smoke coming out of one of its two engine exhausts. Awesome, two of them tugs are tough, you know. It does. It pops right up. It looks like amazing. it's just kept going. I tell you what, I've said it a lot of times before. Big waves don't scare me, but current does, you know. Oh, boy. And yeah. uh, current in a uh, confined situation in a river, for instance... Um, if you're going downstream, it's terrible for your steerage because you don't have enough water. Uh, the water is uh, going past your rudder so fast that uh, it doesn't get any bite. Right, exactly. Yeah, for instance, if you want to turn a boat sometimes, especially in tight quarters, you've got to give it the gas. Mm -hmm. And not so much to, to uh, make it go faster, but to get some water to, to flow over the surface of the rudder so it'll bite. You know, And uh, like I say, if you have current going with you, that is, uh, you know, robbing the ability of your of your uh, rudder to bite in, and then here comes that bridge, and it's not open. Uh, wow. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the reasons why the uh, popularity of bow thrusters on uh, yachts has gone up quite a bit lately, just because uh, a lot of people are doing some exploring in, uh, you know, the intercoastal or up rivers and so forth. Plus, they, a lot of the marinas where these things are kept are usually uh, at the end of a a stream or a river where there is current. Oh, God, and they get so crowded up, it does present some interesting docking challenges. Your right. your major marina with 9,000 boats in it, you know, doesn't have a lot of room. Yeah. Uh, nor, every, uh, as you say, is everybody competent. And, uh, exactly. Yeah, what could go wrong? Give us a call this morning on Boat Talk, one 625 We get all kinds of stuff, uh, a few news items here. A judge out in California, a, um, a, a federal judge, put a uh, temporary restraining order on the Navy. They were going to have some exercises out there. This is a favorite old subject of uh, our friend Alan here. Uh, their high-power underwater sonar yeah. is believed to interfere with marine life. on Low-frequency low arrays. Yeah, yes. on an uh, uh, unknown to possibly massive scale. So there's been an injunction put out in uh, California for the latest naval naval games out there. Yeah. The problem with uh, killing whales particularly is uh, I think all except for the right whale um, sink when they die. So there's no, uh, no evidence of what's happening on there. But I do have a phone call, so let's, let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk. 
I read a little bit about the uh, propeller that faces forward instead of being behind the um, the shaft, and it's supposed to be more efficient. You know anything about that, or have any comments? The Volvo one, I believe, is that that who makes it? I've seen it. It's an inboard outboard. Don't know anything about it. I've seen them. I've seen them only in advertisements. I haven't actually seen them work. Seems like around here they would be just really nasty in uh, catching up lobster gear. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting point. Now we have to build a whole cage around it, you know, and uh, rob it of what efficiency it mm. did, uh, we were going for in the first place. And well, to, to describe it for people who haven't seen it, it's uh, it's hangs down in the water off the end of your boat like a regular outboard, except for the propeller does come out of the forward end of the leg. And the one I saw was actually a twin propeller, you know, counter-rotating propellers on the same shaft. That's right. And uh, supposedly it's, they say, more efficient and all sort of stuff. But it's, uh, it's something that both, uh, both Mike and I see in a lot of boat building is where the, uh, sometimes the designers get a little ahead of reality, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, there was another interesting article here from the, uh, I don't know, it was the uh, Fisherman's uh, Main Coastal News. It was about a uh, propeller. Place and they claim that uh, by tuning up your propeller, you can get uh, as much as ten percent fuel efficiency improvement. Not to mention uh, maybe a knot or two out of uh, just a propeller tune-up. Yeah, smoother ride. Probably speaking of efficiency, you know, on the water and the favorite subject of Giffy, who's not here this morning anyway. I've been having fun. I, I'm right at the uh, head of the harbor in Camden, and my drive stays in the water, so I get that kind of brackish instead of straight say, uh, salty. So I have all kinds of stuff growing on the bottom paint and on the wax on the prop and everything else. It's quite a, it's quite difficult to keep it clean. Hmm. That's uh, never efficient, but as you say, what are you going to do? Take it out of the water, uh, you know, every Tuesday and scrub her off. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I hate to disturb all those nice things growing there. They're trying to live too, so it's a tough one. You have an outboard on yours? Inboard outboard, yeah. Okay, so you leave the gear down in the water all the time. I do, because when you bring it up, it doesn't really come out of the water. So yeah. it's a half line. It's just pole covered. So it kind of live with it. It's only the difference of a knot or two, it seems like, clean or dirty. Mm-hmm. Well, keep an eye on that, because I've seen lately uh, quite a few of the aluminum uh, in brackish water particularly starting to pit. I don't know whether they're using cheaper brand of aluminum nowadays or what, but uh, we're having problems with some of the sail drives in brackish water that uh, they're getting pretty pitted, the aluminum castings on the outside. Thank you. I'll check it out. Well, good. Hope we hope you avoid any problems with that. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, thanks for calling. Good morning Thank from you. Camden this morning. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Number round boat talk here. We're just uh, chatting odds and ends about the uh, marine news at the present. We'll interrupt anything to speak with you. Uh, you know anything that's on your mind here. What else have we got? Here's an interesting one to me. Uh, we uh, talk about the state of the American Merchant Marine on a regular basis. Uh, Captain Sam Teal from down to uh, oh, yes. uh, Maine Maritime. He's a uh, you know infrequent guest host here, among others. And uh, you know the American Merchant Marine, when you get right down to it, is a coastwise phenomenon. Um, you know, our friend Skip Strong, uh, In Peril, uh, the story he, mm-hmm. he uh, gave us and wrote a book about for rescuing a, a tug uh, towing a space shuttle booster on a, on a barge, uh, which was in distress in a tropical storm off of Florida, and he rescued that with a fully laden oil tanker right next to a shoal in a tropical <laughs> storm, which he never should have done. But, uh, and those were all American uh, vessels and seamen there. He was hauling 
oil from Louisiana around to Florida. And uh, the tug was an inshore thing uh, working for NASA there. They're all American crews. But, for instance, came out of the mouth of uh, the Delaware Bay last summer. And it was a snotty, snotty day, like 40 knots against us uh, with bad tide. And we were the only people trying to bash out of the bay that day. And that anchor was like, I think it counted 29 major vessels. Okay, they all have strange writing on them and strange ports you've never heard of and mm-hmm. strange flags. And all the chatter on the, uh, on the VHF radio is in very strange accents, you know. And there's not an American flag in sight there. And those vessels are hauling the goods of the country in and out of the Delaware Bay there. They're lined up to get to Baltimore and Philadelphia and wherever the heck they're going up the bay. But uh, there's not an American vessel in sight. That's, uh, we don't have an a international deep-sea merchant marine to speak of, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, here's an interesting thing right here where the uh, Federal uh, Marine, oh, uh, the uh, U.S. Maritime Administration is uh, trying to mandate that LNG crews must include 25% Americans that would come on, uh, be part of a crew on an LNG tanker. So far, this is just, uh, they're trying to mandate this for, Two um, uh, LNG ports they are trying to build in Massachusetts, one off of Gloucester and one off of Fall River. They already have one in Everett, Massachusetts, and apparently uh, they don't have to have any Americans going in and out of ships on that. But for these other ones, they're going to try to mandate that one quarter of the crews on these massive LNG ships, mind you, all foreign flagged and owned and staffed, would have to be Americans. Yeah, those boats always scare me. You know, it's a lot of pressure that those that uh, gases under those things. It's Not to mention they want to uh, situate down in Passamaquoddy Bay here, and, and, of course, that's been in the news. We haven't talked about that all that much in Boat Talk. Uh, boy, that's a uh, subject with a lot of ins and outs to it. They just had the main Bureau of Environmental uh, Protection hearings down there, and, and apparently the, uh, the crowd was largely in favor of it. There were a few people that spoke against it. Uh, they said maybe two-thirds spoke for it and a third against and the people who spoke against it uh, mentioned in particular how it might uh, poorly affect black ducks. Mm. You know? And, <laughs> well, and you kind of worry that maybe that's not realistic. Perhaps the black ducks would just, you know... Fly away somewhere They'd be else. all right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder. But anyway, uh, perhaps we could do better than that. So anyway, the LNG thing, uh, American cruise, I find that kind of interesting. Lobster season. Let's talk about bait and stuff. A couple of good bait stories here, let alone lobster season. Took off kind of terrible this year. Yeah, it still seems to be slow. Yeah, just a bad slow for the boys at the present time. And, of course, they always thinking that will turn around, and it could at about any time. But, uh, no, it's been a uh, hard season for lobsters this year for weather. And uh, who knows why, because we can't really see under the water now, can we? Yeah, and the price of gas has gone up, too, so they're really getting the pinch in lobstering. Yep, um, and think if you are a lobsterman not catching a lot of lobsters, and, of course, your expenses are going up just about every day. Uh, not a good situation. On the other hand, on the coast of Maine, the lobster fishery is strong. And it's something that I worry about because uh, I travel regularly by boat to the southern here. And, and uh, where there used to be a visible lobster fishery, it's becoming um, less and less visible all the time. I'm telling you what, the traps are disappearing out of the water. And, the, you know, down to Rhode Island, for instance, I believe three-quarters of the lobstermen are not, they're not lobstermen anymore. The fishery is just uh, going away. Three-quarters. Three-quarters, 75% oh. of them out of business uh, in the last, uh, I don't know, six, six eight years, somewhere. you know. Huh. And there's not really much gear in the water that there used to be. 
I know there used to be a lot more lobsters because during World War II, my father was stationed down there, and he used to lobster fish with a little rowboat right from the uh, right off the shore from where he was stationed. Yeah, they've had a diminishment of their lobsters. They don't protect the. Uh, they don't have all the same conservation rules that we're so proud of down here in Maine. But also, uh, a few years ago, they started to develop this uh, black shell disease that is kind of ugly to look at a uh, you know black kind of ugly lobster. Uh, apparently, it's still all right to eat, but you can't boil it and put it on somebody's plate. You know well, what I'm you saying? Oh, you just call it a Cajun lobster. Right, blackened <laughs> lobsters. We charge extra for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's uh, driven uh, quite a few of the, like say, the lobstermen to the far south of here out of business. And uh, they blame that on several things, the warming of the water, possible uh, application of West Nile virus pesticides into Long Island Sound, Possibly coinciding with a couple of big uh, tropical storms that came and churned everything up hmm. in a, you know, uh, a bad timing sort yeah. of. In other words, who's to say? Yeah, and who's to say that uh, we're just going to be skating down here indefinitely? And saw a great little article. There's a uh, 10-year-old girl down in Korea, Maine, and she's uh, lobstered last year on her dad's boat, and she made some money, and she bought her first boat. She's 10 years old. Oh, really? Yeah, little uh, doodle bug, I think it was called, and it's uh, an outboard boat. She's the third owner. And uh, she's going to be fishing 10 traps, and uh, she likes being on the water, and she likes making money. Well, yeah. And you got to admire that, you know, and, and uh, let's hope that that fishery is healthy uh, through that girl's career, hmm. you know, let alone the beauty of, uh, uh, you see, too, a, um, uh, a kid graduating from high school. This was another article in the paper a little while ago, a brand new boat. I mean, a nice new boat. He did a lot of work on it by himself, but he got a nice new boat. He's got a nice new truck, and he's fishing, you know, a big pile of traps, and he's just graduated from high school, and he, you know. He's making it, but it's, it's hard work. Yeah, and it's not to say he's not making some big payments there, but, uh, you know, he's falling right in line. And, and think of it as a garden out there. Uh, theoretically, it belongs to everybody. Theoretically, uh, you know, you and I could get a lobster license and, and go fishing anywhere off the coast of Maine that we wanted to. Uh, in a practical way, though, we can't because you really have to be members of a community. And, uh, you know, it's all community-based, yeah. basically. And community laws uh, are not written as the state laws, another uh, thing we talk about on Boat Talk sometimes. And, uh, you know, uh, they do sort of supersede it. And there are stories about, uh, you know, lobstermen from away trying to move to Stonington, want to be a Maine lobsterman, eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, it ain't that easy, chummy, let me tell you. Yeah. one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight, and the lobsterman will tell you that it's not that easy. Even if you are from, uh, you know, your dad was a lobsterman, and and uh, you know, has helped you get your first boat and all that. Still not that easy. Well, they'll tell you it's getting harder and harder. Is what what the story is? Really. Yeah, uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Fernald. Remember, we had Bruce on a long mm-hmm. time ago, and. Uh, off a of little Cranberry Island there. and Put and, the jinx uh, on him, didn't we? Yeah, one of uh, Bruce's stern men, uh, think of his name, uh, Trevor uh, Corson, wrote a book called The Secret Life of Lobsters. And we talked about that and uh, how they put a, a uh, video camera in a lobster trap. Think about that. You can't see what goes on down there. Let's put a video camera down there with a little red light. And a camcorder, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they recorded what happens when the lobster trap hits the bottom. And apparently lobsters fairly much attack it. And they uh, fight over the bait. And they enter and exit the traps pretty much at will. As they, uh, the statistics showed that like 96% of the lobsters entered and exit the trap fairly easily. And that uh, 
let's say you didn't have uh, several hundred lobsters, but you had uh, more than a few lobsters approaching the trap several hundred times, okay, and, and yeah. fighting over the bait, one, one uh, big uh, alpha lobster eating the bait and fighting off three others trying to approach it. There's, uh, you know, four approaches sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they uh, put the trap in the water and they hauled it the next day. They had hundreds of approaches, uh, the bait's all gone, and they had uh, two shorts and a keeper when they, you know, when they hauled the trap. And uh, if you think about it, is that much of a trap, that lobster trap there? Speaking of shorts and keepers, we have right here to give away. Premium. A premium, yes, a pair of books. One of them is the Illustrated Dictionary of Lobstering. So if you don't know what we're talking about when... Uh, we say shorts and keepers. We're not talking about... Uh, Kendall Merriman. We always like to explain our terms on Botox. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, shorts and keepers are uh, too short to, to keep and, and ones you can. So yeah. uh, size of lobsters. You can never keep a female lobster uh, and uh, with eggs on them. They all get their tails notched in the state of Maine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, pretty specific about what can be kept. And as I say, uh, you know, so those lobsters pretty much attack a lobster trap when it goes down there. So then, here's a good question. What's the difference between a good lobsterman and a bad lobsterman? Yeah. If they're right. attacking the trap <laughs> and you, you haul it, you just happen to get who's in it at the time. Yeah. We have a phone call. Let's, let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning. It's Parker from Lincolnville. Hi, Parker. Um, I've got a 28-foot uh, saber sloop. And um, I'm wondering if you guys could tell me if you have a good rule of thumb for tensioning the shrouds and stays on a boat like mine. Ha. How big is it again? It's a 28-foot saber swoop. Yeah. You know, I always just kind of uh, wing it. You know, I'm never sure. Are they too tight? Are they too loose? I, uh, you know, I know to take the halyard to uh, one rail and then to the other to make sure I've got the mast centered, but... When it comes to tensioning the the stays and shrouds, I you know I've looked for information here and there, but I've never been able to get a real good idea what to do. Well, you've uh, made a good start by being centered, my son. You yeah. know, um, good to as you say, uh, make sure you got the thing pretty much in the middle, which you can do by taking a piece of string like the like the halyard and uh, going to one corner of the boat and the other, or just uh, going out somewhere away from the boat and sighting on it, you know, and making sure the thing looks like it's pretty much straight up and down. Um, I'm sort of with you in the, uh, you know, sort of good enough uh, enough, area there, but uh, I do know there are specific uh, instructions for such stuff. I would would go to um, possibly a sailmaker's uh, website. North Sail, for instance, has a great uh, book on... On on sailing, uh, okay. North, North Sail University, I think they call it North Sail U, which includes uh, setting up your shroud uh, tension and uh, also uh, all the little ins and outs on airflow over sails and stuff, you know, is what they really get into. But but it, I do remember that it does include that. And it, it doesn't want to be too tight, that's for sure. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. You, know, you can I know pull that... things right up out of the boat. Exactly. And, I, you know, when I, my lured shrouds, you know, they're always a little floppy when I'm, when I'm sailing to windward, for instance. And that's, right, that's kind of what you're looking for. 
And yeah, they they do get uh, as you say the uh, the shrouds that are uh, uh, you know away from the wind. There, they do get loose when the other ones are taking the load. It's not always a reassuring thing to see them flopping around there, though, is it? Right, but not uncommon. I mean, that's no, a, not uncommon at all. Yeah. So uh, you know, sometimes uh, people would go, well, let's tighten those up, and then everything gets too tight, and pretty soon the chain plates are uh, pulling the deck up. The deck is bulging or a little you're bit. Pushing the mast right down through the cabin top, or something silly like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all right, guys. Hey, I appreciate it. I always love listening to your show, and thanks very much. One interesting thing to me, Parker, is the uh, the load on, on sales really is, uh, is surpri- uh, has surprised me the most when I started to uh, play with ice boats. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'd uh, you make a little uh, X plank that you'd put a mast on and think, okay, well, you know, I can stand it on, I can sit on it, and it's holding the sail up, well, let's go. But as soon as the wind comes on that sail and you, and you load the sail with the, uh, the wind, you know, the sail being on the wind, going, going up into the wind, sure. um, the downward pressure on that mast on an ice boat is terribly impressive, let alone the twist that a boat can develop. Uh, you know, when the mast wants to go somewhere else. And, uh, again, the forces on, on your sailboat mast there on a 28-foot saber are pretty considerable. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, and I mean, those... Uh, that's a heavy boat you're pushing through the that's water. That's a fairly heavy boat. They're big, big loads, uh, comparatively speaking. And, uh, you know, it's not a trivial thing to... to uh, um, have that wrong. Here's another thing. Let's think about that bridge collapsing out in Minneapolis there. Yeah, yeah, you always wonder what's the, uh, you know, the, the, the... What is it, the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, how much further can you push these things? That is a classic um, example of a system of many parts with a progressive failure. One, one critical part fails, boom, there goes your, uh, there goes your windward shroud, okay? And, mm. or, or your head stay goes, and I'm telling you what, things are just going to continue coming down afterwards, just like that bridge there, you know? Well, we won't um, think about that. Well, uh, the message here is yeah. that, that your rigging system has many parts, surprising number of parts to it. Yep. They all got to be looked out for, too. Uh, hopefully best off when the rig's on the ground before you stood it up and, uh, you know. Maybe the odd time during the summer uh, checking out with binoculars or, or actually going and looking at stuff, you know? I hear you. I'll keep an eye on everything. Yeah, kind of firm, but not too tight, you know, and if it's a little loose to lured there, that's not terrible, and uh, like you say, don't be... Uh, well, it's never crashed down on me, so, I, you know, I'm doing something right, but you kind of like to know what you're doing right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing you might want to consider, Parker, is I believe it's Harkin, maybe it's Schaefer, but uh, one of those company, rigging companies makes a... Uh, a tension meter that you can actually put on the on your um, on your shrouds and tells how much tension there is. Um, not exactly how many pounds, but you can use it to make sure that you got the same amount of tension on both sides. But the the uh, that rig's kind of it's like two hundred bucks or something. But if you go to a boatyard nearby you and uh, call around, and maybe might find one of those boatyards that has one, so that you could once you rig your boat, take it over to that boatyard and check it out and see if you're right or not. So you you know you get a feeling of whether you're whether you're doing a good job or not. That's a good thought. Sure. Parker, go. Wicked important question for you before we go. Let's uh, do it. Are you doing some sailing this summer? Yeah, you know I do pretty well, and I I'm one of the I've got a three year old daughter, and she's been going out since she was a little kid. So this is her fourth season on my boat, and a wife that enjoys sailing, and my whole family's enjoying it, and they're you know they they're excited to go out, and I make sure that we only go out uh, when it's you know. We don't go out in the teeth of a gale so that uh, everybody has fun and we come back and we're having fun. So I, I'm sailing. 
Yes, good. Yeah. Great to go sailing with your family, too. What a lovely picture, Parker. Yeah, thank it's you. it's been good. Thank All you. Right. Well, All thank right, you, guys. Parker. We have another phone call. Let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, Al. Oh, Mike. good morning. Sounds like our friend Howard down in Camden or somewhere. It is. We're taking an excuse to get off of work here just for a moment and had a follow-up on uh, Parker's uh, questions in regards to uh, tuning uh, uh, sailboat rigs and all. And earlier this spring, there was a really very concise article in either Boatworks magazine or Sail magazine um, that you know covered it all, uh, fractional rigs and all. And uh, I will try to scan that and... Uh, Email it on to you, uh, maybe to Alan, and see if you might be able to Ooh, post and that then up. he could interface it with that website That's thing right. I, I, now, <laughs> wow. Notice the keyword, I will try yep. to get through the computer edge on this end. But it was a great article, and uh, I think we do have the ability to scan and everything. So we'll uh, email that on to you folks, and maybe you can get that up on the website, and that'll be uh, what Parker's looking for. Howard, are you getting any time on the water this summer? Um, not as much as I like, but um, we, we were supposed to be moving a boat down from Southwest Harbor. Uh, I could have done it yesterday. Today would be perfect. But uh, hopefully at the end of the week we'll get up there to get it, and that's when we'll have uh, standard wind, and we'll bring it down to the Camden area with the wind on our nose. There you but, go. Uh, we missed yeah. today. All right, then. I appreciate well, you call this thank morning. Thank you, Howard. And the, uh, the email address, in case anybody is, is interested, is info at boattalk.org. We'll get Very you. Very good. Good to know. And the phone number, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number around here. We contemplate all things marine. It also is uh, the fundraising edition of Boat Talk this morning. We got a special Boat Talk offer coming up in the last few minutes of the program. You're just on pins and needles waiting for that. So are we. So anyway, uh, marine news here. What else we got? Uh, we were talking about the lobster fishing uh, season being a wee bit slow this year and uh, that it is, and uh, here was an interesting uh, thing in the paper. This is a subject come up on Boat Talk a while ago. Remember uh, a couple years back we had a fellow call, and he likes to take his uh, dog for a walk on the beach, and somebody was dumping bait oh, on yes. his favorite beach. And he yep. was pretty upset about that, rightfully speaking, because, uh, you know, if good bait has a great smell to it, well, bad bait has – it's not a bad smell. It's a smell, it's a smell that can't not be – it can't be – you just can't put up with it, um, you know. So down to uh, down to Rogue Bluffs, they had a little herring die off in the cove. Uh, well, it wasn't accidental either. The boys, uh, you know, uh, closed off the mouth of the cove down there, uh, little Kennebec Bay it is, uh, up in Rogue Bluffs there, and uh, kind of a long, narrow, uh, you know, fairly high tide in there, and and a uh, nice little snug mouth of the cove up there. I don't know if it was Duck Cove, the one I'm familiar with, but anyway, they uh, closed the cove off. And uh, with some with a herring seine and and got a big cove full of herring and the tide went out and the herring all died and uh, before they could uh, pump the <laughs> herring out of there onto a herring carrier sardine carrier herring and sardine being an interchangeable term along the uh, coast well, of Maine here we're talking bait yeah yeah the tide goes out uh, those herring don't have enough uh, oxygen left and they suffocate and now you've got a bunch of dead herring the place was hard of herring. Yeah, and they're in a uh, little confined area there, and they got to start uh, what you would call it compost. Yeah, and I believe they called up a bunch of their fishermen buddies, and everybody came down and took. Yep, buckets of um, that's the first thing that happened. A bunch of fishermen came with drywall buckets and and got like uh, you know uh, as much. And uh, things started stinking up pretty fast there, and we're talking a pretty considerable amount of herring there 
that were in all intents, uh, you know, caught by these fishermen, and then they weren't able to deal with them. They were wasted. Yeah, scenes on them, huh? Yeah, so anyway, uh, the herring are going to hell there, and, and there's a golf course right at the head of the cove here. Uh-oh. And nobody's golfing on that golf uh, course they anymore. They teed off, weren't they? Yeah, there's uh, another one there for the punster. Anyway, there's not much you can do about that, you know, and the Department of Marine, Marine Resources comes down. And uh, maybe somebody with a compost operation wants it, but maybe nobody wants to get anywhere yeah. near those herring. Yeah, who wants to pick them up now? <laughs> this was back in the middle of July. I believe that problem's probably pretty much solved itself now. Yeah. But here's another one uh, happened on Great Wasp Island a few years ago, it mentions, and uh, the clam flats went to hell after that. Those dead herring poisoned the clam flats hmm. by their putrescence. Yeah, I guess. Basically. Too Think of that concentrated uh, matter of dead, uh, you know, chemicals mm. got to go, uh, you know, it's it's high in nutrients, but uh, maybe in a toxic way. So uh, uh, they set out to Great Wasp Island. It took years for those clam flats to come back. So not only did it, uh, like, say, waste those herring. Herring are in great, uh, you know, there are not enough herring on the coast of Maine anymore, like most uh, fish. Yeah, it was a waste. Yeah, and they go to uh, lobster bait now. I told the story of the lobster trap video camera before. And as I said, think about that lobster trap where 96% of lobsters can enter and exit the trap at will. Doesn't make it much of a trap, does it? But makes it a really good feeding station. Well, it makes the, uh, the whole industry work, doesn't it? Um, think of it. Think of that lobster trap as a feeding station. Think of it as a hay bale thrown into a pasture. Yeah. Okay, and all that herring that is being uh, thrown into the water as bait is basically supporting those lobsters. Huh. Well, for something completely different, I have a uh, an interview with the Boat Building Challenge that uh, happened just a couple of weeks ago down in Belfast, and we'll get to that right after we have this phone call. So let's yeah. go to the phone call first. Phone call is always first. Let's give the phone number one more time, too, one 625 9378 Boat Talk this morning. Who's, who's there? This is Gray from Hancock. Hey, Gray. Morning, Gray. Usual suspect. Um, Excellent thing. I was just uh, reminded when you were talking about the lobster uh um, gobs are going in and out of the so-called trap. Um, you know, in they're also called. Remember, they're also called lobster pots, and that word I believe comes from uh, the practice in the Mediterranean of uh, of putting ceramic pots on the bottom to entice octopuses in them, and then when you haul the pot up, the octopus stays in there. Hmm. I don't believe they have any bait in them, and they don't call them traps. But they're called pots, and I so I think that practice was sort of uh, transferred to New England when um, when uh, Europeans came over here, and they call them lobster pots. And but they they refined the idea and tried to make it into a trap. But obviously, what the video shows is that it really isn't isn't a trap, and lobsters aren't aren't as stupid as they. <laughs> as most people might think. Well, suppose I was uh, the smartest fisherman in the world, and I says, well, 96% aren't getting out of my trap. Only 4% are going to get out of my trap, and I make a trap that they can't get out of. Um, what's going to happen to this fishery that uh, supports eight, 10-year-old girls and, and kids just out of high school and, you know, uh, is, is uh, doing pretty well for the boys? What happens to the balance of that, we might wonder? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they really if they really did become traps, you wonder what would happen to the po- lobster population. It's anyway, an- I just thought I'd uh, remind people a little little history and why 
we call it a trap, but maybe it, maybe it really never was a trap. <laughs> in the old days, they used to gaff them in the shallows, you know. Yeah. And uh, they call biggins four footers and up. They called. Yeah, they'd call I know. Biggins. They used to show up in vast numbers after a storm too. Yeah. Or Easter would put a whole bunch of them on the beach. Yeah, and always been food for four people until the tourists got here. God or compost. Them. Yeah, compost as well. well. All right. Well, thanks. Bye. Thank you, Gray. Good morning, Gray. Anytime. Uh, we're doing Boat Talk this morning. We do it a uh, second Tuesday every month. And, uh, you know, we have a good time doing it. And, excuse me, we are... Um, here's the other thing about uh, Boat Talk and having our own website and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, as I said, we have learned to trust the audience. And, and there's a very knowledgeable audience, uh, boat-wise speaking, in down east Maine here. Apparently, uh, you know, some of them do listen and, uh, and like, to, like to interface with Boat Talk. Um, it's a pretty cool thing, the two-way streets made possible by community well, radio. We are the self-proclaimed center of the boat-building world. And uh, they had uh, down in Belfast two weeks ago the first annual national boat-building challenge where teams of two were given uh, three sheets of plywood, uh, I guess four or six Two by four, one by fours, uh, um, a piece of two by ten for the transom, and a set of drawings, and told using um, most any tool that you can bring on there except air tools uh, to make a boat and the fastest time done. And there was team of eleven teams that were doing this thing, building it up, and it was pretty interesting. I did a uh, we went down there and did an interview with uh, uh, some of those guys and. Uh, this is it right here. What was going thanks on? Thanks for uh, having this event, Rob. No problem. Thank, thank you for coming. Um, thanks for the time. Um, what we're doing here is this is the first year of the main venue of the National Boat Building Challenge. And the National Boat Building Challenge is, a, is the beginning of a circuit, a national circuit of competitive boat building. We're all going to build the same boat. Um, it's an adaptation of the Monhegan Skiff. Um, that the lobstermen use off the beach on Monhegan. Um, it's just a 12-foot flat bottoms, and uh, they've had the they've been they've been given the plans probably anywhere from a month to six weeks ago. So if they wanted to build a practice boat, they certainly could. Um, so they come here, they have the plans. We give them three sheets of 3/8 plywood and some nice clear 12-foot one by fours and. Uh, you know, a two by you know a two by ten from either Viking or EBS here in the mid coast, and um, you know away they go. And it's sort of evolved over probably eighty, you know, twenty five years. We sort of started as a sort of a down and dirty competition, build whatever you want in Newport back in eighty one or eighty two. That was sort of the brainchild of John Hansen, who's now the you know publisher of Maine Boats and Harbors, um, and it sort of evolved over the years. You know, sort of through family boat building and now into sort of competitive sort of one design, you know, and at, at the end of the day, they'll, somebody here will walk away with a world record and a world record trophy, which we call the golden gun, um, and then somebody will have that record and then somebody will walk away with the Belfast Challenge prize and a check for 500 bucks, so it's a, it's a cash prize, um, you get to keep the boat, you get to walk away with some money, and at the very least, you gain a lot of experience and have a lot of fun. Well, yes, I, it is it is fun. I can say that I've done it in the past and then had a good time. Um, I, I assume after hearing this, there may be some more people interested in joining up next year. So let's give some contact information for that. Oh, my, my gosh, I hope so. You know, the fact that we got nine teams this year is just an incredible 
success story on Belfast part, but you know I'd like to see this event get built. Uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 teams, and it's fairly easy. Just contact the Chamber of Commerce here in Belfast um, at any time. It'll be the same boat next year. It'll be the same weekend next year. Um, you just need to give us your $100 registration fees. You get the get the plans now, so you can build a boat in December, build one in February. You know, and by the time you know by the time it comes by the time it comes you know next year for the competition. You'll be ready to win. All right. Well, I think things are getting pretty close to the conclusion, so I'll let you go back and do some color commentary that we're hearing in the background. Thank you, Rob. We'll be talking again. Thanks very much. All right. Here we, here we are. I'm, I'm with uh, Mike Gear, who is one of the judges of the, uh, the boat building contest today. And, Mike, um, you're looking at more than just speed. You you look at, at quality and uh, workmanship in these boats. Um, what's that like? Well, first of all, we're um, we're looking to see that the boat is built to the plans, and um, then we're looking to see that it's fastened properly, caulked properly, um, and. Uh, we also look for details, like, you know, you can build a boat in a quick time, but then if somebody else builds a boat, with a, it may take 20 more minutes to make it a, a proper job, a nice clean job, uh, they could win the contest um, by having higher points in workmanship and maybe uh, competing better in the water part of the... Right, yeah, and there's also a little bit of longevity to it, to doing a proper proper build too that would be a factor well exactly although these boats uh, only have to survive for what is it half an hour in the water yeah but I... <laughs> sure well i'll have to tell you a little story about that and, and that is that uh when i competed in this in early 1990s um we built a fill bolds or teal design and uh i still have the boat and it's still in good shape that's the one with a little tombstone transom it, no actually it's got it's a double ender 12 foot double ender uh -huh. and it's um it was built in two hours and 50 minutes, and um, we hardly did anything to it. So uh, it, since then, and it's survived all these One of the problems I, I encountered with that was, at the time, it was called the Sikaflex Challenge. Yeah, exactly. And we were given uh, tubes of some new, new Sikaflex product that cured, like, within 10 or 15 minutes. It was a hot day like today. And so when we went back to clean up, the stuff was already rock hard. There was no way to clean it up, so... There's, there's a little bit of trick, as you say, to being meticulous about what you do and having a, having a nice, clean boat. Yeah. Well, for instance, the guys from uh, North Carolina that are ahead right now have built one of these boats before a few days ago. And I so heard, they've I been they through made three. it. They maybe have, they made three. But they, they, it's obvious they don't talk to each other because they know what they're doing. They're, uh, they've thought through every process to uh, come up with a, yeah. a quick and seems like fair boat. So. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that too. They don't spend a lot of time looking at the drawings. Some of these guys they've are scratching committed their heads and looking yeah, at it. Yeah, and talking about, well, let's see, uh, do you want to do this or uh, yeah. <laughs> should we sub it out? <laughs> be nice if they could. Anyway. Well, Mike, thank you for uh, the interview and uh, good luck in your judging. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Well, that was uh, two weeks ago down in Belfast at the Boat Building Challenge. You could tell that they were madly working away there in the background. Great example of ambient noise use in a radio interview. You know, a planer boy is always... Yeah, the cell phone could have done it, done without it. Yeah. Um, I left before the uh, 
the actual end of the show, but I have the results right here, and this this bothers me a little bit. The uh, the new world record of two hours, 58 minutes, and one second was set by Willie French and Alex Poole, both of Georgetown, South Carolina. Now, they're actually both Kiwis. They're both from New Zealand. One, one's, one's by way of, uh, yeah, Georgetown, South Carolina. They, are, uh, they were sort of the ringers in the thing. They said also that was the first annual, and then they said, of course, they've been going for years. Both you and I have competed in this challenge uh, in, the, in the past. I, for instance, was the one, and I, I've earned the bragging rights here, uh, according to me, the world's second fastest wooden boat builder at one point, two hours and 46 minutes to build a double-ender boat and, uh, you know, row it out around a mark and back. And mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, great fun work, and they are uh, building a new boat nowadays. The uh, times for the original boat that I believe you and I, the double-ender teal there, uh, got down under an hour two people to I've build a 12-foot boat. It got kind of silly, so they come up with new designs, and, uh, you know, what a great event. I never had more fun working that hard yeah. in my life. You, you forgot to mention who was the fastest time in that one. A couple guys from the Hinkley Company, who uh, uh, friends of mine who built the thing the night before like we didn't. and uh, Two guys from Bass Harbor Marine. Bass Harbor, I forget. One of them was Alan Sprague. Alan Sprague. Two I'm, hours and 40 minutes Do flat. I know him? Huh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, anyway. so anyway. So anyway, Maine is going to be represented by two guys from South Carolina, and I think we ought to, next year, <clears throat> put an end to that. So, well, if I wasn't so old, Sonny, well, I'd I mean, show them. Personally, I'm, I'm talking to all the boat, boat builders out there who may be listening now, thinking about uh, entering this challenge next year. Uh, give us a call at, uh, or email us, I guess, probably at Boat Talk, info at boattalk.org and uh, maybe we can somehow work out some sort of a team. To it is great good fun. I knocked an old I knocked Maine. an old lady right over. I was uh, running my uh, <laughs> two by twos for the oars uh, through a router around them over, you know, and I just whapped her. I huh? fly and I uh, dro- uh, pulled this two by two back and I struck her right in the midsection. She went down. Oh boy! And I went over and she sprung up, going, "Oh no, dear! You're you're just all you go do to what oh, you're doing." Good. good. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a time, let me tell you. So anyway. So we only have about 10 minutes left. Yeah, that, uh, was the phone ringing? I couldn't tell from uh, listening to Amy there. No, no, I, no. I think we're... Good. Well, uh, now let's finish our thing about bait, though. We were talking about bait before, and, uh, you know, the herring uh, down to uh, Rogue Bluffs there that kind of got wasted and stank up the cove there. In Stonington, for instance, they are uh, the town council just appropriated $1,500. You know how hard it is to get the town council to appropriate $1,500 for anything? And this is to study... Uh, a bait storage shed for the town and part of a $10,000 uh, community development block uh, grant. And they want to study bait storage in the hmm. town of Stonington. That's progressive, isn't it? Well, um, let's think that, uh, what's the figure here? $29,000 worth of, uh, I'm sorry, $29 million worth of uh, lobster landed in Stonington last year. Mm-hmm. $29 million. That is a hot spot. And uh, one of the critical factors in the whole thing is bait and uh, how do you store bait. Let's say you got all that herring. You can't store it for very long. you gotta have a, you got to have a refrigerated building, basically. And, uh, you know, an individual fisherman, no. And no. Uh, the bait situation on the, on the coast of Maine has been, uh, you know, it's been getting interesting over the last uh, number of years. They've been coming up with uh, alternative baits, trying to find some kind of magic bullet where we won't have to get all them stinky herring in the first place. Cow hides. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, it's moose hide. Subject of uh, great controversy and some bitterness among uh, lobster fishermen. Some lobster fish. Restaurateurs, too, are Don't saying, like them we, things at all, and people yeah. are finding cow hairs in their lobster Newburgh. Yeah. <laughs> Try and imagine how we got there. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, hey. Uh, enough, enough bait for one week. Yeah. Why don't we get to the uh, special uh, offer that we were going to do on Boat Talk this morning to. Uh, yes. You know? We do have a. Uh, a, a matching grant that's uh, actually going to run into Jim Bahush's show coming up next here at 11 o'clock. But uh, we need to get five pledges between now and the first 20 minutes of On the Wing. And when you call up to make a pledge, you got to have you have to mention Boat Talk for it to get credit. And if we do, then we'll get an additional $500 pledged towards Boat Talk, a specific one. So we we need to we didn't need to make this work. And the phone number to call to make your pledge now, here's the pledge number, 1-800-643-6273. It's a little complicated, but a uh, nautically-minded, community-radio-friendly uh, donor from down to Brooklyn has oh, yeah. pledged $500. And if we can get, get five calls in the next 20 minutes... That uh, just mentioned boat talk, and mind you, Jim Bahush will be on the wing uh, playing, uh, you know, that funky wild music that he does uh, from eleven to two. But if you just mentioned boat talk, um, you know, we got five hundred extra dollars here donated by a friend from Brooklyn. And we're also at that at the uh, after that twenty minute reprieve, we're going to be drawing for the two boats or two books that we have to get give away the Lobsters Illustrated Dictionary that we were talking about earlier. In case you happen to be out lobstering and don't know. What you've caught, you can look it up in the dictionary. And then Working the Sea by our friend Wendell C.V. Wendell C.V., yes, another person. Bit of a character, Wendell C.V., and uh, this is an interesting book. He talks about everything from being raised as a fisherman to uh, his paranormal experiences out to sea. <laughs> Wendell is quite a nice guy. Isn't he? He Tell you some guy. scandalous stories about Great Duck Island, too. You'll never see it the same again, possibly. So anyway, the pledge number again for... Uh, now, uh, well, for the next 25 minutes, for the last five minutes of Boat Talk and the first 20 minutes of On the Wing is 1-800-643-6273 and mention Boat Talk. And we need to get five, uh, five, five g- generous donations from you and four other people. To- Should be a piece of cake. People like Boat Talk, and uh, honestly, we, we like doing it. And uh, been thinking for a long time, uh, as I say, uh, you know, what... What would we like to talk about all year on Boat Talk? Kind of an embarrassment of riches. And, again, we're in a very maritime-oriented area down here. We've got a great audience and, uh, you know, a treasure of uh, people to, uh, you know, talk to and about. Yeah, no matter what Mike and I say, there are probably a lot of people out there who know a lot more about whatever we're talking about. It's, as you say, or Somebody suggested a while ago we ought to talk to Roger Duncan, for instance, uh, one of the deans of uh, people going up and down the coast of Maine, his old schooner eastward, uh, beating a path up and down the coast for years. He wrote the guidebook, for instance, Mm -hmm. does a uh, feature column in the working waterfront every month. Um, Got a new little schooner, Roger and his wife do, and why don't we have Roger over sometime? There's a new director at the uh, Penobscot Marine Museum. In, in oh, yeah. This. We're going to go visit them. Yeah, Searsport. We ought to uh, talk to them sometimes, too. We have too. One, one phone call trying to squeeze here in at the very end. So let's go quickly to this last person. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, speaking of paranormal, what happened to the raw faith? <laughs> raw faith just kind of sitting down there in Rockland Harbor, and I hate to say it, I was just thinking about it last night. If they haven't made a strong move to re-rig the boat, 
now I don't see how they'll be going anywhere this fall. Um, the last two falls, they've tried to leave the Gulf of Maine and go south and uh, get on with their mission of uh, supposedly uh, carrying handicapped, excuse me, people and their families on uh, sailing adventures on an engineless, uh, home-built, uh, self-described galleon. Um, you know, and uh, so anyway, they've been dismasted the last two years. They've tried to uh, leave the Gulf of Maine with spruce trees as masts and, uh, you know, a bit under-rigged, and uh, they remain half-rigged at uh, anchor under Port Arrest in Rockland right now, and there hasn't been a lot happen on the boat this summer. Elizabeth, uh, their daughter, who was in the wheelchair, uh, did have a visit out on the boat this summer. I know that, and other than that, there hasn't been much done there. Well... So I hope that answers your question. We're just about time to sail out of here and make room for Jim Pahushka. And we talk about dreams on Boat Talk. The whole uh, the whole uh, raw faith thing, uh, I've pinned on dreams, you know, and mm. allowing people theirs. But what do you do to a, a dream that's uh, kind of anchored in the corner with nowhere to go? Interesting question, isn't it? Hey, uh, we'd like to thank Schooner Fair for the theme music here. Eyes to buy the builds boat and eyes to buy the sails her, you know. and. And uh, maybe they'll we'll talk to them on a future edition of Boat Talk, too, as well as, uh, you know, maybe whatever you could think of or what we could think of as well. Second Tuesday of the month is uh, when Boat Talk comes around. And in the meantime, back to music with Jim Bahoosh on the wing. And, uh, you know, then it's mostly minding, starting at 2, and a whole afternoon of music here on Community Radio. Stay tuned. Local public affairs on community radio need